Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. I'm old enough that uh, when I was in school in my earliest days, we had the thing called opening exercises that had very little to do with exercise. We would sing O Canada. When you get older, you just listen to it. But we'd also do the Lord's Prayer. That's how old I am. And uh, and so we would recite the Lord's Prayer every morning. And you're saying this this prayer. I don't know if people were saying it to God or just reciting it in, in 400-year-old English. And it was uh, probably seven or eight years ago, I had a petition come across my desk um, asking people to sign a petition so that they would reintroduce this in Ontario Parliament, which is, I'm not sure. Like, So we get people to say a prayer that they don't mean. They recite words. And, you know, that's fine for what it is. My bigger concern is that we as followers of Jesus would recite the prayer without thinking about what it means. It's really important for us to understand what we're doing, understand what we're saying, and understand the implications of it. Our Father, who art in heaven, that's the 400-year-old English, hallowed be your name, may your name be holy, your kingdom come, your will be done. Rather than saying the words without understanding its significance, we have to wrestle with the meaning and understand what it means so that we can actually apply it, we can live it out, rather than just reciting it. I think that's, that's what I'm getting at. As, as followers of Jesus, we have, to be, we have to be engaged with the meaning of what we're doing and living that out. So we've been doing this justice series. Today's the last message, and, and, and last week we talked about God, his, his character as he expresses it is, is demonstrated in justice and righteousness. Righteousness, not so much a, a moral character as doing right, living rightly. That's what it means. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What that looks like, looks like, professional communicator, doing right and doing justice. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. That reflects God's character, reflects God's concern. And so as we've gone through this series, we've talked about how justice is a major issue in our world today. But the claim here is that Jesus offers better mechanisms and means to see justice happen than what our world is struggling with. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of recap because today's the last message. The first message, quite a few weeks ago, we talked about the justice problem. And the message was really about justice being a primary human concern, but it's also a primary concern of God's. As much as we cry out and long for justice, that is God's echo to humanity. God wants to see justice happen. It reflects his character. The next week we talked about uh, the justice foundation, that God himself is, is the foundation for understanding what justice is. His primary characteristic, or one of his primary characteristics, is he is a liberator. One of the earliest foundational stories in the Bible is God's rescue of his people from Israel after he hears their cries of suffering. And he sends Moses to go rescue them. He is a liberator. As the, as the creator and lover of humanity, who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die, to put us on the path of eternal life, because he loves us, he sides with the oppressed over against the oppressor. That was the second one. The third one was the message about resurrection, that God will ultimately, end of, at the end of time, make all things right. And there's, it isn't so much that we just wait for that. Um, 
I'm going to quote a few times today from a book I mentioned in the, in the first or second message, I don't remember which, by a, uh, he's, a, he's an associate professor, assistant professor of uh, New Testament studies at Wheaton College. His name is Esau Macaulay, and he wrote a very, very good book, co- book called Reading While Black. And he says that because of the resurrection, the resurrection negates the power of those that can kill the body but do no more. In other words, all the oppressed, the maximum the oppressor can do is kill you. But we look forward to the resurrection, so we're not afraid of that. It's a profound thought. The next week we talked about justice and reconciliation. We talked about the crucifixion. That Jesus came to interrupt the cycle of violence and retribution and retaliation. He interrupted that by his death, absorbing evil on the cross. So that mankind could be reconciled to God, reconciled to one another and being vindicated by his resurrection immediately after his death, not waiting to the end of time. And not only that, but that enables us as followers of Jesus to be able to reconcile through forgiveness. Through forgiveness, we absorb evil, and we're replenished, we're we're sustained through God's love that that backfills that. We can can bear the, the, the cost of forgiveness because of God's love. Then uh, last week, we talked about Justin's community. We are a community of followers of Jesus, and our primary identity is Jesus. Our primary identity is Jesus, not some other identity, because when you put any other identity in front of your identity of Jesus, whether that's national or political or even just interest, we can find ourselves as enemies of God's people, because the, the politics bump up against one another. We, we have, I was actually challenged with this thought a few weeks ago. If I were to travel overseas, and I've done a lot of traveling mission trips overseas, if I were to be in Southeast Asia, been many times, if I were to run into another Canadian, I would probably feel more affinity with that person than I might with a follower of Jesus who is Southeast Asian. And there's a problem with that, because what it says is that maybe my primary identity is Canadian over follower of Jesus, right? Our primary identity as a followers of Jesus is we are a Jesus community, we're not a conservative or liberal community or a, any other thing. We're, we're, not, we're not marked out by ethnicity or, or gender or anything else. Our primary identity is Jesus. And as that community, we express our identity in worship to God and in the pursuit of justice and doing right. That's what we do. That's how we live. Okay, so a whole bunch of messages. One, two, three, four, five. So what? What do we do with that? I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. What do we do with it? I've told the story a few times, but uh, I'm going to tell it again. Um, Because it's been a few years, I think. I had a call from a friend of mine who's part of the church here. I said, I need to talk to you. And when somebody calls and asks me to to go for coffee because they want to talk to me, but they don't say what it's about, that's a little concerning. I have no idea what he wants to talk to me. I, I guess we're good enough friends and I'm not really worried. Maybe worst case scenario is that, sorry to tell you this, but we're leaving the church or whatever, or I have a problem with you or whatever. And so, so we meet for coffee. I remember uh, I was living in Bradford, still do. He comes up to Bradford, we meet at a restaurant. I remember sitting there a little bit nervous. What's he going to say? And he says, you know, I, I, I just, I want to say that I've been, you know, going through some depression and I'm going, okay, people go through that. And, I, you know, I tried being on medication, really struggling with that and uh, not sure I want to be on it. Okay, that's fine. And, and then he says, um, but I just, I don't know why I get out of bed in the morning. I said, well, what are your, what are your goals in life? What do you want to achieve? Like, what are, your, what are your big, big goals? He said, well, I, I mean, I want to 
pay off my mortgage. It's okay. That's reasonable. I, I hope if you have a mortgage, you want to pay it off. He says, and I, and I want to raise my daughter well. That's a good goal, too. I want to get out of debt, be financially free, and I want to raise my children. And I said, okay, so you want to pay off your mortgage and raise your daughter so that one day she'll pay off your mortgage? And he says, oh, there's got to be more than that. Right. There's got to be more than that. Here's a question for you today. What do you live for? What do you throw your life into? A lot of people throw their life into their job. And they hate their job. Right? I go to work every day. Why? So I can pay my bills and once or twice a year go away on vacation. I live for that vacation and I, go to, I suffer in my job every day so that I can go on vacation. I'm, I'm living for vacation. Maybe family get-togethers. And my life is marked out by these periods where I actually enjoy life on vacation and in between it's just hell. That's my life. Other people, um, they focus on raising their kids. I want to raise my kids well. That's my focus. That's my goal. Which, of course, begs the question, are you raising your kids well so they can raise their kids well? What is the point? What are you throwing your life into? Maybe if you're younger, you fill your free time with entertainment, Netflix, TikTok, video games. You do your homework because you have to, and then in your spare time, you do that stuff. There's got to be more than that. There's got to be more than just continuing to populate the earth and entertaining ourselves in our free time. And then, hopefully, people become followers of Jesus. And what, what happens then is, is this whole new spiritual life gets, gets added to your life. You have your life, you have your goals, and then you also do Bible studies and go to church and worship God and, and be morally better, and that's it. Is that it? We come together as followers of Jesus and we sing songs so God can enjoy them, and then we continue to pursue our goals of paying off our mortgage. I'm going to read a couple of passages from Scripture, just a couple of passages today from the prophets. Prophets you'll find in sort of the second half of the Old Testament. And, and, and the prophets were critics of the way things were. And they would, they would have these uh, messages of hope, but also messages of, messages of criticism to all the nations that were not God's nations. They, they would say, God is on Israel's side. But you know what also... They would also have messages of criticism for God's people. They would criticize God's people. So I'm going to read the first one, Isaiah 50, 58, verses 6 and 7. And this is the context of Israel being religious, faithful. They would pray and they would fast. To fast is to go without food for the sake of piety, for, for the sake of being religiously pure. And this is what God says through the prophet. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And I love this last sentence. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. <laughs> I, I, just, I, get, I have this picture in my mind of, of, of somebody looking out their front window and the relatives are pulling out and they pretend they're not home like it's Halloween night. Right? Maybe they'll think we're not home. Crap, the car's in the driveway. That, I just, that strikes me as funny. Here's another one. Amos 5, 23, 24. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. An endless river of righteous living. See, in God's eyes, the work of justice is priority over worship. How can that be? 
In God's eyes, justice is priority over piety. And so, so much in our, in our Western Christian culture, we've focused on individual morality that turns into self-righteousness by which we judge other people. Not just judge other people. We judge people that are oppressed and struggling because we somehow make it their fault because they're not as pious as we are. Jesus responded to that in a funny way in his day. He criticized the pious and hung around with the impoverished, with the wrong crowd. I read a book uh, a, a long time ago now, 10 years maybe, and it was a fat book and it was really hard to get through. Um, somebody once said it's a really easy read in German, and I thought it's not worth learning German for that, so I just wrestled my way through the book. And it's by a <clears throat> fairly influential theologian that most people haven't heard of. His name is Jürgen Moltmann, and the book was called The Crucified God. And, it, and, and the, sort of the overarching theme of it is that through Jesus' crucifixion, he identifies with those who would be marginalized on the fringe, discarded, and he says, that's where the church should live. The church should live on the fringe, challenging the status quo from the outside. And what's happened over history is the church has found itself moving towards power and acceptability and popularity. And there's legitimate reasons for that sometimes. When the Roman Empire fell, the church stepped in to provide stability to culture and then fell in love with the position of power. And when you fall in love with the position of power, you do whatever you can to maintain that. And all of a sudden, the church is not on the fringe. The church is not critiquing the status quo. The church is the status quo. Part of the oppressive system of power that keeps other people on the fringe. We, we still want that. When I see uh, complaints on social media about where the church is, it, we, what, we, what we complain about is the loss of influence, the loss of popularity. Well, everybody hates us. That's what I see. We want to hold on to the popularity. We want to hold on to the influence. We want to hold on to the power. Esau Macaulay, the guy who wrote Reading While Black, says, God displays his glory precisely in rejecting the value systems posed by the world. And so we have vacated the place of critique of society. We do not critique society, especially when it's, or unless it's opposite of what we want. Do you know who critiques society today? Comedians. Comedians are on the outside critiquing society. Sometimes they get in trouble for it, sometimes they don't, but we don't, we don't critique it. Unless people are doing stuff that we don't like. When, if we look at Jesus' model, and we talked a little bit about this in the, in the reconciliation message, Jesus actually entered into suffering. He entered into identification with the suffering. He became a sufferer with those who suffer. He didn't just do that. It wasn't some useless exercise of, of, of martyrdom. He also dismantled systems of injustice by attacking them at their root. See, every system of injustice has behind it a demonic power. And as much as we are called to address oppressive, unjust systems, we have to understand that behind that, there's, there's, there's a spiritual influence. We, we can spend a lot of time trying to fight systems without recognizing the root. And Jesus went right to the root. He identified and dismantled. That's what we're called to do. 
identify, not just identify, but identify with the suffering, to recognize systems of oppression and dismantle them. It's hard to do. We've, we've seen a lot of um, conflict and challenge in the world over the past couple of years, pandemic. Um, last year, the, the BLM movement, um, you know, you want to do your part. So when there's, a, when there's the exposure of un injustice, you, you take your Facebook profile and you replace your picture with a square that's one color. I've gotten thank you letters from people for doing that. Thank you so much. No, I haven't. And I, I don't want to dismiss the, 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 the identifying with uh, or, or bringing awareness. But my question is, what does it accomplish? Sure, awareness, okay. But what does it accomplish? See, here's what I think goes on. And I, I don't want to minimize that. See, we all recognize it's not enough to do nothing. We can't do nothing. Doing justice, doing righteousness, does not allow for passivity. We can't be passive. You also can't do everything. Like, you literally can't do everything. So, sometimes we become passive because we're cynical that whatever we do is actually going to amount to any good. Or we, we, we become passive because we believe, we, we start to believe that the problem is way too big for me to fix. I can't do anything about it. I'd, I'd like to, but I can't. Or I think sometimes we're lulled into activity because we're comfortable and wealthy. I know some of you think you're not wealthy. Um, <clears throat> many times if, when we think we're not wealthy, we haven't traveled enough. Maybe you haven't traveled enough because you can't afford it. But I, I remember when the Occupy movement happened in 2008. And, and I don't want to be over, overly critical, but you, you had the 1% the, the being protested by the 10%. The top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world were protesting the 1%, maybe the 0.1%. You go outside North America, in some places, and you start to realize exactly how much wealth we have. So, yeah, we can be lulled into complacency because we're comfortable and prosperous. And sometimes we, we're passive because we really just don't know what to do. We want to, but we don't know. We have to recognize that injustice will persist until Jesus returns. There will always be some kind of injustice until Jesus comes at the end of time, makes everything right when he's fully come. And the issues of globalization make justice more and more difficult because we're more and more aware of more and more problems around the world, like realizing that we're in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people, maybe the top 5% or 3%. And what do we do about literally worldwide problems? So we can default to a token response. There's environmental concerns. Well, I recycle, so I'm fine. Some studies have shown that, that, that some people are, they're, they're less, they care less about the environment because they recycle while I'm doing my bit. So it doesn't matter. Put a square on my Facebook profile, it's one color. Maybe we do that even out of a sense of guilt or responsibility. But here we are as followers of Jesus, we're called to live our lives for rightness, to make things right, to pursue justice. How do we do it? Without just sprinkling tokens of awareness. Um, so when I was reading that book, Reading While Black, that Esau Macaulay wrote, he says there's three approaches to injustice. 
I'm going to quickly go through them. The first one is acquiescence. That's a nice big word that means do nothing. And he says, some people would say, because Paul in Romans says, submit to your governing authorities, we basically just let it happen. We let oppression happen. He says, submission, acquiescence is not submission. They're not the same thing. We can submit to government authorities while still addressing injustice. To acquiesce is, is to say this is okay, but it's not okay. So that's the first thing. The second one is rebellion. Let's arm the people. March on the Capitol building or whatever. He says that's contradictory to Jesus' way, which we've seen. Jesus interrupts the cycle of violence, doesn't perpetuate it. So rebellion, revolt, is not an option for us. So what is the option? If it's not acquiescence, if it's not rebellion, the third option is critique. Speaking and acting. And there's, there's a precedence for it. And it doesn't sound like much. It doesn't sound like much. But throughout the Bible, you see the critique happening by God's spokespeople, known as prophets. Last week, we talked about the justice community. Our community of followers of Jesus is intended to be a prophetic, not a pathetic, a prophetic community. We, we fall into the trap of thinking that prophecy is telling the future. No, prophecy is saying God's words. When you read the prophets in the Old Testament, back half of the Old Testament, you see them less predicting the future than making critiques, making statements. Oh, it seems easy, doesn't it? Well, make a critique. Start a blog. If you're doing it right, it's not that easy. See, the, to, to be a prophetic voice in the world for God is to do a few things. is to call people to right relationship with him. That's both internal and external. That means that within our community here, we call one another to right relationship with God. We have to do that in love. And I don't mean that as a, oh, I didn't love. No, you didn't. You were a jerk. Okay, I mean like to really do it because I care for you. In relationship, we call one another higher in our relationship with God, and we call the world to relationship with God. Again, not being a jerk, call people to relationship with the God who loved them so much he gave his only son that he would put them on the path to eternal life. That's, that's, that's what it means to speak prophetically. It means to anticipate hope. To anticipate hope. How many people have only heard bad news from the church? Jesus offers hope, hope for justice. To speak prophetically is to point out injustice, is to call it out. Not just the people in charge again, but the powers behind the people in charge. This is where you start to run into problems. When you start calling out injustice, you can make some enemies. I'll give you some examples in a minute. The last thing is a warning to the oppressor. One day God will judge. That makes you less popular. One day God will judge, this is not good enough. And this is where the hope of resurrection in this life is marked out by a voice of fearlessness because the power of death no longer intimidates. So here's some examples. Uh, in, in, in the Old Testament, we see Moses. God calls Moses, I want you to lead my people out. So he has to speak prophetically to Pharaoh. We have to keep in mind that the, the Egyptian empire was a world empire. And he's addressing the kingpin. It's not just a world empire. Like, 
Right now, people say, oh, the United States is the, the leader of the free world. The president of the United States is the most important person in the world or the most powerful person in the world. And uh, that may be true. The United States has been around as a nation more or less since 1776. That's, uh, well, you're looking at 200 something years. The Egyptian empire was around for 3,000 years. 3,000 years. And Moses has got to go talk to the top man and say, listen, what you're doing is wrong. We need to bring our people out. That'd be somewhat intimidating. You take your life in your hands. So, so the prophet talks to Israel's enemies. And when you start looking at the prophets in the, the later half of, of the Old Testament, you see the prophets talking to Israel's enemies, but they're also talking to Israel's enemies who are in charge of Israel. That doesn't make you very popular either. Well, the, the worst case is Jeremiah. Read through Jeremiah. It's the longest book in the Bible, and it is depressing. Because Jeremiah says, why did you make me do this, talking to God? I don't want to do this, but he says it's like fire in my bones. I just have to let the words out. And he's, he's giving messages that the leaders are saying, you're, you're actually counseling us to treason. And it ultimately costs him his life. Many prophets cost them their life. We go outside the Bible, we look at somebody like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was a German theologian who in the 1930s went from Germany to Canada because the, the Nazis were just dominating, and he felt called by God to return to Germany and openly challenge Hitler and the regime, and he was executed in a concentration camp just a few days before the end of the war. He was a prophetic voice, and he paid the ultimate price for it. Maybe you've heard of a guy named uh, Martin Luther King Jr., who paid the ultimate price for calling for freedom against injustice. Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, we need a protest. And protest can be prophetic. We, we're fortunate. We, we basically have two mechanisms politically to deal with injustice. One is to vote, although sometimes people wonder if your vote makes much of a difference because all the parties seem the same, maybe. I'm not making that claim, seeing people say that. Second thing is, is protest. I, I, I read a very difficult book one time, and in the book, buried in there, the, the author said that we take for granted in our culture that protest is both legally and culturally accepted. Because it hasn't been throughout history, everywhere. There are some countries, we have people in our church that have come from countries where if you protest, you could be killed for that. The biggest protest in the world is, I don't know if it's still happening, in Hong Kong. Millions of people protesting. But the ringleaders are disappearing. To prophetically critique, though, there are not only, the only option isn't just protest. It's not just to have a demonstration or, or march. And people are a little bit suspicious about that too because, they're, because we've seen negative examples from, from some of the BLM marches, right? Whatever the cause, it's, some of them went real bad. So we go, well then, I don't know if that's an option for me as a Christian. But we, we have all kinds of options to address injustice, not always at huge scales, but even at one-to-one -one scales, personally, individually. I mean, even how you raise your kids. Do I raise my kids so that they are aware of God's purpose for justice? So we call out injustice and, and we, we train them to be ready to make a difference for the world instead of living for comfort, safety, and paying off their mortgage. It's a big challenge. At school, maybe you're in school, there's all kinds of injustices that can happen. You don't have to change the whole school, but you could change one person at your workplace. So here's our challenge. 
Open your ears. Open your eyes. Here's a, here's a dangerous prayer to pray. Ask God to show you where there is injustice that you can address. Sometimes, sometimes that results in people leaving the church and moving overseas to tackle some massive thing. But there's enough around the corner in your neighborhood that there's something that God is calling you to do. He's calling each one of us to, res- to, to be responsible, to take on the challenge, to not live a comfortable life, to, but to make a difference in the world. What would happen if every person at Crossland's Church was making a difference in our community when it came to justice issues? What would that look like? That'd be incredible. Here's how it can look. Um, very quietly at Crossland's Church, we've had a ministry running for a number of years, uh, the community meal. We rarely talk about it lately. When the pandemic happened, um, there were meals being offered around the area, and most of them closed temporarily because of COVID issues. And one of the very few that stayed open was our community meal here. And that's a credit to the volunteers that serve there weekly. and, And they're not just showing up and handing out food. I'm talking they go shopping, get the food, cook the food, serve the food, interact with the clients, treat them like human beings created in the image of God that God loves, which is something they don't always experience. Week after week after week, we have some volunteers that have done that for almost two decades. And they're participating in God's justice plan. You may think, well, what good does it do in the long run? It does, because it's God, part of God's justice plan. We, have a, we had some volunteers um, get gripped with the idea of dealing with uh, sex trafficking issues. And they put on the Brave event a couple of years ago. And there's, they're still talking about, okay, what do we do to keep this moving forward? Because COVID kind of, put a, kind of shut down the big event. We want to do this. We want to reach young girls and let them know that they have worth because Jesus loves them. That's happening. Here's another example, and this is from uh, some time ago. We have somebody in our church, uh, Doreen, who came into contact with somebody with fibromyalgia that was living in a really bad apartment. And it wasn't just bad, it was bad for her. She had to walk up steep stairs, and she, she struggled to walk up and down the stairs because of fibromyalgia. And what do you do in that situation? What do you do? Well, Doreen found them a new apartment that was cheaper. It's a, it's a one-on-one relationship with somebody that you recognize the issue and say, what would God have me do in response to this? God, show me what would you have me do? What do you live for? Vacations? Or to change the world? God is calling us to change the world, starting with our community. Every single one of us, eyes open, ears open, what would you have me respond to? What injustice are you going to point out that not only I can just critique, but do something to help correct that? It's a big call, but it's worth it. It's worth living for. Imagine what would happen if everyone did that. We had uh, Edna share last week here on the stage so that God gave her a dream. And, and you can go back and listen to it if you want on last week's um, YouTube video. But part of the implication of the dream was that we as a community of, uh, of followers of Jesus are to respond to injustice, but not always with big things. Each one of us are called to little things. And as a whole, 
we see God's rightness, right living, justice move forward. There isn't a single one of us that's disqualified from that. There's not a single one of us that's called to live for comfort and entertainment. Not a single one of us. We are called to express our worship to God in living rightly and doing justice. Now, maybe you're here in person, maybe you're watching on, on the stream, and um, maybe you've never responded to that call. Maybe, maybe you've grown up believing in a, in a God who, is, who loves you, but passively. He's not actually doing something. He is calling you into a relationship to do something. He's calling you as a God of justice to be part of justice and not waste your life watching TV and play video games. He's calling you to make a difference in the world. And so to respond to that call, it's as simple as ABC. It's, the, the A stands for admit. I admit that I'm not living the life I could. Living selfishly or, or living for my own ambitions, living for my own dreams, which really in the big picture are kind of small dreams. Maybe you think they're big. Hey, I want to make a million dollars by the time I'm 40. Yeah, who cares? For what? So you can stay comfortable and useless. I need to be part of God's purpose for justice. You need to admit that B. The B is, is belief in Jesus' path, his crucifixion and resurrection that interrupts the cycle of violence and retribution, allows us to bear the cost of forgiveness because God's love just fills us back up from the inside out. That's part of the message of his death and resurrection and also brings reconciliation between us and God. We're invited into his family. And then C is to commit your life to him. That means that you're no longer living the old life. You're no longer living for small dreams, but living to make a difference in the world because that's God's purpose. And if that's a decision you need to make today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you, I'm gonna challenge you to pray this prayer. I'm gonna let you use these. Take my words, make them your own, okay? You can repeat them out loud or follow along. Make them yours. Father, I admit that I am not living the life that I should be living. I admit that I, am, I have lived for myself. My dreams are small. And I need to be part of your purpose for the world. I'm choosing to trust in Jesus, his death, resurrection. I'm choosing to commit today to the Jesus path and to follow you completely with my whole life. Thank you for welcoming me into your community, into your family. Amen. And if this is a decision you're making today for the first time, please connect with us. The easiest, best way to do that is go on to uh, Cross and Start Live and click the Follow Jesus button. Give us your contact info because we'll help you with next steps. We, we walk together as we follow Jesus. And, and, and there's, a, there's a change process, there's a learning process, and we just wanna help you with that. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means may your name be holy, be recognized as special and preeminent. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're called to do. What are you living for? In what ways is God calling you to recognize your part to play? and what to do about it to respond. So I challenge you this week to pray the prayer, show me 
Show me what you are calling me to do and give me the willingness and the boldness to respond in the love of Jesus for the pursuit of justice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a good God, that you are a just God, and that you love us beyond our wildest imagination. Father, we have seen some of the things that you have done. Father, we are recognizing your call to participate with you in the pursuit of justice and living rightly in this world. Father, show each one of us individually what our part to play is in that. Make the path clear. And Father, as we partner with you to make a difference in our community and to make a difference in the world, Father, we don't want the credit for this. We want all the credit to go to you. Father, I ask that we would be difference makers for your purposes. Commission us all over again. Father, I pray that you would plant new dreams and godly ambitions in people's minds and people's hearts. Father, I pray that you would give us a picture of things that you are calling us to do that are far beyond we've ever imagined because you are calling us to do it in your strength, not in our own. I pray that through this community of followers of Jesus, Crossland's Church, we would make a significant impact in our community and in the world for your glory and for your reputation. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.